Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. During this unprecedented period impacting us all, we are creating and sharing some extra episodes that we hope you find available, either particularly timely or relevant or that allow for some distraction. This episode is part of our Heroku in the Wild series and we hope that you enjoy it. Hi, welcome to the Codish podcast. My name is Rick Newman. I am a director of engineering at Salesforce Heroku. I am here with Badri Rajeshaker. He is the founder of uh, Jam and former Talkbox CTO. Uh, he's joining us today to talk uh, about the to- on the topic of creativity and connection in a remote workplace. And he is especially suited uh, to talk about this uh, with us. So we're excited to hear from him. Badri, it's nice to be able to talk to you. Rick, thanks so much for uh, having me on the podcast. I'm super excited to be here. That's great. Would you tell us uh, a little bit about the company that you started, Jam, and what you're up to today? Yeah, so Jam is a lightweight uh, video collaboration application for remote and distributed teams. You know, how, how do you have serendipitous ad hoc conversations? How do you simulate those water cooler conversations you have and, and just encourage uh, sort of a video first um, sort of a micro interactions across your remote and distributed teams? And uh, that's what we've been working on. And like you mentioned in your outline, uh, Jam is also born out of like a very personal need we, we face in a previous life uh, as it was working across a remote and distributed team. What brought you to the place? And you touched on it. What 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 brought you to see a need for Jam? We started out in my previous company. We started out as a small uh, Silicon Valley startup, and at some point, we got absorbed into this much larger sort of global conglomerate called Telefonica. And I went from sort of being part of so leading a relatively small co-located uh, Silicon Valley team to now suddenly being faced with the daunting task of coordinating across 10 cities and seven time zones globally. And it, it immediately became apparent to us that the, we, we run into a couple of major issues. One of the things being loneliness and sort of feeling uh, disconnected from the mothership is a real problem in remote and distributed teams. And, you know, we wanted to find a mechanism to be able to solve that. The other issue we commonly faced was uh, what I call this drowning in the sea of text. There's this stream of consciousness data in the workplace. It's incredibly noisy, uh, whether it's Slack channels or Git comment threads or Figma comments, you know, there's a lot of stream of consciousness data and conversations happening in text. And oftentimes we found ourselves in this position of, you know, it would be so much easier if we could just rise above the din of that sort of text noise and be able to quickly talk to people over audio and video. But at the same time, we didn't want the sort of the pain and headache of formal structured video conferencing. And so we were always sort of going back and forth between the Zoom video conferencing world and drowning in sort of Slack uh, type text data. And so we really wanted to build, uh, you know, something in the middle that would be like a very engaging audiovisual connectivity tissue where you can use a, you can use video to have these micro interactions and actually collaborate. Like Like one of our engineers came and told me, he said, you know, real work happens in between meetings, right? And he was just like tired of like jumping from meeting one meeting to another and then catching up on email threads and Slack threads later on. So uh, it is really trying to solve this product white space for micro interactions that live somewhere in between Slack and Zoom. And that's really what we're trying to solve with Jam. 
So it seems not that it's a good thing, but now that now that with COVID, certainly your your target audience has grown. Every, everybody's almost everybody is remote. That's has right. that had any change on in your thinking or uh, maybe in your learnings? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Um, you know, unfortunate uh, unfortunate as it is, I think we've all been sort of forced to uh, sort of go into this sort of much more accelerated adoption of remote work. And I think a lot of organizations have been like suddenly thrust into it, and we're all trying to figure out, you know, what are the best ways to sort of uh, deal with that remote um, sort of culture and remote work future. And I think one of the things, one of the things that's becoming patently obvious from some of the the, the, the COVID situation we have right now uh, is, you know, people's schedules uh, need a lot of flexibility, right? It's it's very hard to be able to control your schedule in your current environment. You know, you can't all make it to meetings at the same time and things like that. So I almost feel like, you know, we as organizational leaders have to become much more empathetic to creating a culture and sort of a workflow which lends itself to people having very flexible schedules, right? So I think that's that's sort of an uh, important dynamic that's sort of playing out in the in the workplace, right? Right. And I would almost add to it this 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 dichotomy that exists between a whole bunch of people having like fatigue, like meeting fatigue, or people call it Zoom fatigue. It's like you know I don't want to be in a video conference day in and day out. So you have that dynamic going on on the one end. On the other side, you also have this dynamic that, you know, um, people miss that face-to-face interaction. And so it, it is useful to have like video on and catch up with people. And I think uh, really what's going to come out of it is this recognition that, you know, the human-centric approach um, in, in teams in terms of communication and alignment it becomes important. And then it becomes, you know, the question of figuring out what's the right way to do that in a way where it doesn't feel obtrusive, in a way where you don't have that pressure to always be on and available, you know, in a way where it doesn't feel like things are being mandated by process, in a way that's just not natural to how people uh, work and interact with each other. With thinking about that, um, with everybody either being accustomed to or forced into participating and working on distributed teams, mm-hmm. what are the problems you faced and have thought about? and are trying to help out with, I guess, and your thoughts on how do, you, how do you manage a distributed team? And it could be an experienced one or an inexperienced one. I, I sort of fell early on in my career. I think I fell into the same trap uh, a lot of people uh, seem to be sort of getting um, embroiled in, which is trying to use process and relatively stringent process as some sort of a mechanism to drive uh, alignment and remote and distributed teams, right? And this takes, and you can see this take a lot of forms where, you know, people say, hey, you know, we're going to have no meeting Mondays or we're going to get everybody to write up a summary after each meeting or, or, or you know, we're going to move to a memo-based world. I think you, you often see some combination of process, but I think it's really important as we all go into this world to recognize that, um, uh, you know, the bedrock of making sure you have a healthy and productive remote and distributed team is really boils down to building the right culture of trust uh, and alignment and creative freedoms within teams, right? It's it's basically the question of treating people like adults and making sure you have a culture of trust. And then if you're able to start from the basis and the question of, you know, how do I create a team where people are aligned? How do I create a team where people have a high degree of trust? How do I create a team where... Uh, ideas bubble up to the top and then you layer on processes or workflows or systems in place 
um, to sort of refine that experience, it's a much better alternative than saying, you know, we're going to somehow use process uh, to solve the problem. So I think the first thing is the recognition that, you know, you, you, you want to build a culture of trust uh, and creativity in a remote and distributed team, firstly, and then productivity uh, and all the other things um, sort of flow out as emergent side effects, uh, if, you know, of, of that culture of trust and creativity. And so I think it's important to sort of be very intentional and, and, and design that culture. And that could take a lot of forms, right? It's making sure you pick the right tools. It's making sure you ha- have the right systems in place. It's making sure, you know, you set aside time for people to have these like casual informal conversations. It's making sure you have a mission-driven uh, organization rather than a goal-driven organization. It could take a multitude of factors, but I think it fundamentally boils down to being systematic uh, and intentional about designing for the remote work setting uh, to be successful, like people in that workflow to be successful. In your mind, what are some of those steps that you can start to become effective in that way? Yeah, I think it could uh, it, it, it could take a multitude of forms. I think the, the, the first thing um, is sort of creating an organization that is very clear about sort of what their mission is and articulating the entire organizational structure around a mission uh, rather than sort of uh, setting aside little goals and sort of micromanaging people. It was almost interesting. I was in a in a panel the other day and a lot of the panel discussions centered around this question of, hey, people feel like their managers are looking over their shoulder and uh, managers feel like, hey, I really want to know if people are slacking off or being productive. And as I sat through all of that conversation, right, for me, the entire framing of that conversation was wrong. Um, the very fact that people feel that way is, is symptomatic of not having sort of a mission-driven organization that's built on trust, where you empower different parts of your team with the right amount of end-to-end responsibility, where once a mission is defined and sort of a higher level um, path is set forward, each of these teams um, are able to sort of execute with, with a certain degree of autonomy, right? But at the mm-hmm. same time, what you also want to encourage is um, sort of what I call this 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 osmosis of information across various functional teams, right? You you don't want each small sub team to go off and be in a silo, even if they're being like super productive. And so, oftentimes, what works is sort of creating avenues or forums where people can share things they have been working on in in much more lightweight ways uh, with the rest of the people, right? And this could be, hey, you know, we're going to do product demos on on Fridays or we're going to send a recorded show-and-tell video of what we've been working on. Again, I think it's creating these right forums for this osmosis of information across functional teams. It's sort of super important as well. Not only is it important for the best ideas to bubble up, but I think it's equally important for everybody to feel like their voices are being heard, their ideas being heard. And this is especially a problem in remote and distributed teams, right? Like you have this feeling that, you know, there's, and especially in sort of hybrid teams where you're not entirely remote and parts of your team are remote, you almost have this, hey, there's HQ and there's everybody else dynamic coming to play sometimes. And I think it's super important to be able to create these forums and avenues uh, where people are able to bubble up ideas and that also jogs a lot of creativity within teams, right? Like as people have these playful uh, sessions where they're talking about what they're working on or a new prototype they built or you know, you know, look what we did in our internal hackathon this week. I think that creates the energy, the culture of trust, this sort of creative buzz 
happening. And it's, it's, it's all the more important to be able to create that buzz virtually somehow in a remote team, especially if you're not all in the same office where you can like feed off that energy, right? That's the question. Like, right. how do you, how do you create that energy in a, in a virtual remote setting where you, you, everybody can feed off of each other's positive energy and sort of be creative? I, yeah, what you mentioned about almost micromanagement, oftentimes line managers, kind of your day-to-day managers, they're realizing that they were getting almost like an accountability check for free, right? Mm-hmm. The, the classic, there's butts in seats and we laugh at it, but right. a lot of a lot of us just do that up. Well, I you know, I see them, I see them sitting down, I see them looking intent, I see them working. That's right. And, and when that's missing, suddenly you're that could result in micromanagement. I can absolutely see that. And I didn't realize that that would be kind of a natural outcome. And, uh, and oftentimes you take this, you see this take like really bizarre, like incarnations in certain teams. I have seen like engineering organizations, uh, especially recently mandate things like, hey, you need to come to work and then turn on your camera and be in a Zoom call. Um, and I think all of those are like symptomatic of the fact that, you know, it's exactly like you said, it's butts and seats. It's like, you know, I want to see you uh, be present. And I think that's kind of very <laughs> yeah. unhealthy. And, it's, you know, there are much more uh, nuanced ways of like, you know, um, solving that problem. And I, and I think fundamentally, it's again, both centered around sort of, uh, it's a signal of lack of trust um, and sort of culture in the organization. So when you see those sorts of things coming up, I think it's more important to sort of double down and fix the root cause of the problem rather than try and sort of patch the problem in, in sort of superficial ways. So obviously this is this is uh, related to JM and the product and your product is aimed at this kind of what I think about ethos right. that productivity springs from that cultural connection. And mm-hmm. I can assume and hope that JM uses the, the product internally. That's right. That's right. Um, we are kind of an extreme case. You know, I, I joke with people. It's it's almost as if we took a world map. We picked the worst possible airplane route, and then decided that's where we want to, you know, set up our teams. Um, <laughs> so we are literally spread across San Francisco, um, Barcelona, and Sydney. And if you actually think about the time zones, there's there's probably sixty minutes a day where we can all be online together at the same time. Wow. Um, and so it's a, it's a, it's a pretty extreme sort of version of a, um, remote team, but that's exactly right. Like, you know, we wanted a dog food jam in a way, and to some degree it's, it's what you mentioned, the way we solve this a jam is sort of enable people to have these lightweight micro interactions where I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes and say, Hey, I checked in this code. Do you want to like, just, uh, you know, push it to a pre-prod and test it out and somebody else. Uh, can do that and they come back to you like a couple of minutes later and say, hey, you know, I pushed it to pre-pod, but A and B and C was happening. And so uh, we can have these lightweight micro interactions over audio and video without having to necessarily sort of schedule a meeting or, you know, jump onto a conference call. And one of the epiphanies we had was what I call the multiplayer problem, right? Especially if you are developers and designers and product managers, we are using the keyboard a lot, right? Like we're coding or we're on the terminal or, you know, we're, we're, we're in Figma or using design. And so essentially what you almost want the audio video conversation to be sort of a secondary experience. So it, it's not like you're sitting in a, in, in a video conference, you're, you're basically working on your stuff. And then video just happens to be sort of a secondary experience, very similar to how if you're playing a multiplayer game, you could be in an audio video channel with your with your buddies, but you're actually playing the game, right? And coding mm, right, or right. designing or 
uh, code reviews or power program, all of those are very similar concepts. And so we try to incorporate some of those things in Jam uh, to create those lightweight experiences where you can be focused on what you're doing, but have sort of a simple lightweight way where you can communicate with other folks. And we also have a whole bunch of like discovery built into it. It's exactly like you said, right? Can we rethink presence in interesting ways? If, if A and B are in a conference room and are chatting, can we show those visual presence in interesting ways um, within, within Jam just so you feel like there's activity around you? You can see people talking to each other. You can crash those meetings. And we, we try to sort of facilitate a lot of this serendipity uh, in conversations. I really like the uh, what you just mentioned about that. Yeah, that that serendipity and being able to create, just see that activity. It's it's like um, I'm not particularly outgoing or social, but I really enjoy working from a coffee shop. Just being around others and and seeing that is a lot more clear than looking at uh, nine individuals' calendars and seeing <laughs> what they might be doing in a given uh, hour or afternoon. That, that, that's exactly right. And and we often find that, you know, um, just the mere fact of you see people having these conversations or, you, you you know, you have these sort of audiovisual cues of what people are doing is super important, even if you're not participating in any of those conversations. Exactly right. It's the, it's the coffee shop effect, I guess. What have you learned? And, and maybe maybe it, this would seem like a little bit of a uh, I'm fishing for a feature, but I'm really not. What have you learned? say over the past year that might have affected how you think about the product, mm-hmm. uh, especially as, uh, like we mentioned at the beginning, just due to COVID, uh, you likely have a lot more input from interested parties. If you look at a lot of the conversations that are happening within the remote work community, one of the important conversations everybody seems to be having is this tension between synchronous workflows and asynchronous workflows, right? And you, you, you see this all the time. And in fact, the more mature, fully remote organizations you are, the more asynchronous you, you, you tend to be. You know, a classic example is an organization like GitLab, where they say, hey, you know what, everything's got to be asynchronous. And we're like a fully remote team and we're going we're gonna to design everything around being uh, asynchronous. And it's kind of an interesting sort of conversation that's happening in the remote work field. And our view and our learning has almost been this sort of flow, this ebb and flow of synchronous, asynchronous is sort of a false dichotomy, right? And and if you actually notice it, the synchronous and asynchronous workflows actually happen within within a productivity cycle or within a sprint, right? In the the early half of the sprint, let's say you were uh, talking to product managers about like a feature uh, and, and design and you're talking to the rest of your team about like architecture and sort of aligning on the design itself. There's a lot of synchronous conversations that happen during the ideation and sort of requirements uh, collecting phase, right? And then when you're actually heads down building the product and you're actually coding and you're actually building it, what you want to do is you, you want to go into deep work. You don't want a whole bunch of distractions. You don't want people bothering you. You know, I'm going to put on my headphones. I'm just going to be coding. I'm going to be churning code out. And then once you're done doing that, maybe you want to show off what you built in some sort of a sprint demo. So if you actually think about sort of the workflows, the workflows themselves alternate between periods where you want to have a lot of synchronous back and forth conversations. And there are periods where you want to be heads down, focused, deep work, right? Where asynchronous Mm -hmm. workflows make sense. And so one of the learnings for us has been this this false dichotomy between asynchronous and synchronous. And so what we have done 
he sort of built Jam in a way where you could do both live calls and quickly talk to people um, if you if you wanted to, or you could actually leave them recorded audio, video messages, or create like show and tell messages and support a fully mm. asynchronous workflow. Purely because we ourselves sort of going through periods of high synchronous activity and periods of high asynchronous activity, and I think right. that's been an interesting dynamic that has come out of you know how work has evolved uh, off late, especially. Like you mentioned, you've really embraced that even with the geography of of the company. Kind of referring back to these little micro interactions and these these quick videos that you mentioned, what's the most interesting example <laughs> of one of those that is either you've seen or is maybe even common at Jam? Yeah, that's, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of interesting uh, uh, examples. I mean, some of it are fun and trivial, and some of it are a little bit more um, sort of uh, more obvious. Um, one of the things we see a lot of patterns and even with a bunch of other teams we sort of closely work with is asynchronous audio video message messaging is often used to go through a whole bunch of like bug repro steps, right? Like, you know, when, when something happens, it's sort of writing these long-winded convoluted like uh, repro steps. Oftentimes you see people actually recording the reproduction steps and actually posting it. And so it becomes super clear in terms of what happened, what environment they were on, you know, what they were doing and things like that, right? That's great. Um, we also use this sometimes to actually resolve contentious pull requests. Um, <laughs> I'm sure everybody sort of faced this, right? Like somebody was telling me the other day, there's no feeling of victory, like merging a pull request, which has been open for like, you know, 30 days and has had 500 comments in it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and sometimes what we do is, uh, yeah, as part of the pull request thread, there are these recorded voice and video commentaries uh, of people actually you know, even explaining their comments and, you know, talking about their own design philosophy and saying, you know, this is how I would have done it, or you know, here's how the locking mechanism should work, stuff like that. And so, I think that layer of color and context is super useful to not feel like you know it's a battle of ego between ideas in a in a in a right. in, in, the, in a pull request, right? Right. Right. I'm sure others do this. Is it takes me so much longer to write out uh, maybe the reasoning behind an abstraction than if I can just talk for a couple of minutes and wave my hands a little bit. And, and even these hallway conversations and these synchronous conversations and discovery uh, is kind of useful because oftentimes when people, a couple of people are coding an idea, they're going back and forth. Uh, but other people who feel like they're missed out on the conversation as they see these frequent conversations crash those meetings, right? And they're like, hey, you know, I, I noticed you guys are having this conversation. Maybe I need to be in the loop too, right? While, it's, but while that's good and bad, for the most part, I think it's, it's very healthy to have those discussions just like you would in a... In a, in, a, in a physical co-located space. You see somebody talking, people come up to your desk and sort of join conversations all the time, right? Um, right. All of those interactions have been sort of uh, interesting. On the more trivial side, we have all kinds of videos sent. You know, <laughs> oftentimes on Thursdays, people send out like cocktail recipes of the latest cocktail they, they, <laughs> they did. But what we want is a live video of somebody actually, you know, being a mixologist. <laughs> with the and making it. And making yeah. it. And the, we, we do a lot of like pretty fun, like silly things uh, internally. I'll bet everybody gets over this. One of the things I noticed oh, in this switch to everybody working from home and it has canceled all conferencing events that we do an awful lot of interaction with. And they've had to shift to just either record pre-recording Mm -hmm. these conference uh, talks that they would give or doing it on video. And when they pre-record, 
I'm starting to see a tendency of now it's got now the recording has to be perfect because for right. some reason in our head, yep. when it's a recording, it just has to be flawless as opposed mm -hmm. to when I get up and talk, it's a mess <laughs> and I stumble over words and I forget where I am and it's uh, forget where I am in my outline and it's and it's totally fine. Right. Uh, I assume that that is just a small hill that uh, people get over eventually. That That's a great point. I, it is a very nuanced sort of behavioral aspect and I think people actually get over that fairly quickly for a multitude of reasons. I think you're much more cognizant uh, in terms of the production value of your content if it's going to be broadcast out to a much larger audience versus I'm going to record like something quickly with the three other folks I most closely work with. You're, you know, you, you're a little bit more sort of open and free and you don't have right, to worry too right. much about like sort of the, the production quality of, uh, of things. Also, this is another interesting use case I, I sort of didn't mention. Sometimes when we're deploying code, there's one or more people deploying code at the same time. They're all in a lightweight sort of um, floating heads experience in Jam where, you know, they're, they're in a conversation with each other and they're actually deploying code. But as they come to the important sort of steps in the deployment process, they also record little snippets of the deployment process itself. So you almost have this audiovisual audit trail of what happened in each deployment, which is super interesting, right? Like that's, I haven't seen a lot of organizations do that, but we actually do that and find it incredibly useful to actually have sort of a visual view of the deployment process itself and what got, you know, deployed. Did mm. I make these schema changes? You know, did I miss out something? Did I run this config script? You know, it's, it's super interesting. Even as an internal knowledge base, as a mechanism to institutionalize and memorialize uh, internal knowledge, uh, it's an interesting mechanism. Well, this has been uh, a lot of content, um, and I'm positive that some of the individuals listening in are listening almost with some desperation if they've uh, encountered over the past three or four months a new reality in remote and distributed work uh, that might be completely, it might have been completely unfamiliar to them. And obviously you and your group at JAM give a lot of thought to that. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have advice, either line managers uh, or individual contributors, employees and companies, uh, some steps that they and we can take to build a, a better environment for, for where we are now? My, my advice to sort of individual contributors, first and foremost, is to say, you know, you, you really want to focus on yourself and make sure that you have a, a, a strict separation between work uh, and, and sort of not work. And it's almost becomes even more important right now to, to schedule time away from work. You know what I'm saying? Otherwise, your entire day yeah. is one giant blur, which never, never seems to end. And of course, we all have those days, you know, closer to release times and things like that. But I think it's super important to sort of be very cognizant to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to take, I'm going to set aside 30 minutes in the middle of the day to do yoga or like, you know, whatever, you know, to go for a walk, you know, brew a cup of coffee. It's super important to sort of be able to sort of schedule time and be cognizant of not just having this one giant blur of a day. I think it's also important to sort of be sort of effective in your communication because, again, one of the things is uh, it's easy to sort of fall out of the loop or, you know, not have alignment with the rest of your teammates. I think it's really important to actually step up and communicate a little bit more frequently than one would normally mm. be used to communicating. I think those two things are like super important. And if you're leading a remote engineering team, I would say it's super important to focus on the cultural elements and very important to be empathetic to people's schedules, right? I, I just don't think it's not fair, nor is it like practical you know, um, to have these super strict, like formal 
schedules and things like that. So I think it's really important to devise a system where your team has the breathing space and the flexibility in terms of their own schedule in a way where you are also able to sort of clearly articulate what outcomes you want from the team, but then empower them to be sort of flexible and do it in their own time, right? But I, right. I, I would say those are the more crucial elements. Of course, I could give a lot of like little snippets about like you know, process and things like that, but I think these two core elements are something I, I feel quite strongly about. Uh, well, thank you for being on this episode of Kodish Padri. I have, uh, it's been a real pleasure. I have a personal interest, like I think uh, you and I talked about before we were recording mm-hmm. in this, and and I find it fascinating and love the, uh, though like you mentioned, it's not the greatest environment that it, this is happening in, but I love that a lot of people and companies are moving this direction and just, and being more thoughtful about how we interact and the, the, the important principles behind how we interact and how we can find new ways to do that. And, and not just mitigate the problem, but embrace the environment and come out actually ahead. You know, you'll find, find a deeper productivity, find a deeper connection. And I think there's a lot of opportunity here, and I'm really glad I got to talk to you about it. It's been uh, it's been fantastic having this conversation with you, Rick, and I really appreciate you having me on the on the podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish Podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com/podcast.